Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his essay, A Kantian Approach to Business Ethics, Norman Bowie is going to show us how the categorical imperative in its second formulation applies, particularly within business settings, to the issue of meaningful work. And he derives this from considering the, the full extent of the second formulation. So we should remind ourselves, what is the second formulation? According to Kant, it runs like this. Act always so as to treat humanity in your own person and that of others, never as a mere means, but always as an end. And we can reduce this down to treating people as ends, not just mere means, that is respecting their human dignity and their autonomy. This has not just a sort of negative aspect telling us that we can't do certain things like coerce people or make them act in conditions of ignorance, deceive them. There's also a positive side to it for Kant. There's what we call positive freedom, which is another version of our autonomy, which has to do with the development of human capacities. We have positive freedom when we are not restricted from or when we're even, you know, supported in or fostered in developing our distinctively human capacities. And we might say, well, what are those? Bowie is going to talk in particular about rational and moral capacities. So rational capacities are ways of thinking things out. And these aren't just theoretical they're also practical. And here's where we get to the moral. Our capacity, for example, to develop certain habits, good habits that help us become better people, that would be a moral capacity. The ability to view things from another person's perspective and understand their vulnerabilities, which some people call empathy. That's one version of it. That could be a moral capacity. So Bowie applies this to the issue of meaningful work, a very big problem within the contemporary workplace, is it not? And he says that Kantian ethics would require companies to provide meaningful work so defined. And then he gives us a sort of bullet point list of what meaningful work would look like. And it's worth dwelling on each of these bullet points in turn. So the first one actually includes two things. He says it's freely chosen, right? So this would rule out the sort of, well, take the job or get the hell out of here. You're going to accept whatever it is that we give you sort of attitudes. The difference between some companies in, in today's workplace, right? It has to be freely chosen. So this would rule out companies, say, going into impoverished areas and offering very reduced wages for those employees or bad work conditions, wouldn't it? Provides worker opportunity to exercise autonomy on the job. Autonomy means the capacity to choose for oneself. So this would not only include things like being given work that you then get to decide what to do within the structure of company policies. So, you know, if you happen to come in and you don't like Word and you prefer Google Docs and the company works with Microsoft, well, you're, you're going to work with Microsoft. But, you know, you 
you could still exercise some autonomy on how you set up your, your memos, for example. How you arrange the time spent on the tasks that you have, rather than being micromanaged down to the very minute or, or something like that. When you get to take bathroom breaks, good example as well. Supports autonomy and rationality, right? Supports the autonomy and rationality of human beings. He says, work that lessens autonomy or that undermines rationality is immoral. So work that requires you to do something stupid, irrational for hours on end, that would be undermining your rationality. There's other ways of undermining autonomy as well. This would rule out, for example, workplace harassment and bullying, wouldn't it? Another key thing, how are you paid? What is a fair wage from a Kantian perspective? So Bowie says there's three components to this. Provides a salary sufficient to do three things. To exercise independence, provide for physical well-being, and satisfaction of some of the worker's desires. So let's start at the, the last one first, right? He's not saying that you have to pay people so much that they can satisfy all of their desires. I mean, as autonomous beings, they're responsible for their desires. Sometimes desire can be really out of whack, can't they? But you should certainly make it possible for them to satisfy some of their desires. So they're not just working your job and another job so that they can barely make ends meet, which would be sort of the second condition, provide for physical well-being. That means being able to eat. It also means being able to go to the doctor when you need to. It also means not being so stressed out about work or whether you're going to be laid off or, you know, the, the write-up that you got that you can actually get good eight hours of sleep when you need it. All of those sorts of things. The other one, independence. Employees should be paid enough that if they're prudent, they can acquire savings and do something else than work for you. Maybe work for another firm, change their a trajectory and, and work for a, in a different sector, get an education or become entrepreneurs. Any of those, we should also include being able to retire on time. All of those should be part of the salary. If this was actually applied, people would probably be paid quite a lot more by most corporations. Enables a worker to develop rational capacities. This is important. This is beyond just supporting rational capacities. This is now about enabling them to develop that. So having a clear promotion and responsibilities structure within the organization would seem to be part of that rather than saying, well, you're classified as factory worker. You're going to stay factory worker till you die. Allowing people to cross train, helping people to move slowly into leadership positions. Those are developing rational capacities. So a good workplace would actually do that. Not interfering with workers' moral development. So not requiring people to do things that they know are immoral, not causing what we call moral damage to them. When, for example, you know, let's say you work for a collections agency and you're given a quota that you have to meet each day. And the best way to meet that quota is by engaging in deceptive or coercive practices. Well, from a conscient perspective, you are being forced into a situation where either you lose the job or you do things that you know are wrong. And that's fundamentally problematic. That's, that's interfering with one's moral development, perhaps even setting it back. 
now, from a Kantian perspective, the manager would actually have two sets of obligations. All of these things would be parts of uh, meaningful work. And so managers have a requirement to provide meaningful work. Now, can you make the entire company provide meaningful work? Uh, no, you have to work within the area that you have. So your direct reports, for example, you would try to provide them with meaningful work. The people underneath you as well, you would try to foster that. There's also another obligation to try to move the company in a better direction, create a certain kind of organization. As Bowie says, he says, the discussion of what a Kantian business firm would look like leads directly into other considerations that have to do with what this organization would resemble. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.